Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 337, and I think uh, Matt forgot to adjust the number in the show notes. That's what you get for doing it late. I didn't do the tabs. Okay, yeah. It was, it was my fault. Okay. That's only because Matt didn't do his job. It's Matt's I job. Had to, like, I had to like fill in for him. That's so. how he earns his monies, baby. Yeah, so I haven't this called training yet. This is called cross-training, I was going to say. Uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, so it is number 337, and the date today is what? The 21st, November 21st, and uh, Thanksgiving is, is quickly going to be upon us, which is awesome. Uh, so on today's show, we're talking about oil finishes in a low-power turbine, installing opposing drawer slides, and notching corners. Before we get to that, let's thank a few special people who helped us out. These folks went to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signed up to send us a few bucks every month to help us do this show. Steve LaRue, Eric Schneider, Eric Latham, Jason Burr, Kenneth Keelan, David Smiley, and Michael Brindle at M13 Workshop. All those folks went over there, they picked a pledge amount, and they got some free stuff in exchange for it. You can get some free content, like the extra show that we do at the end of the uh, regular show, which is kind of cool. And uh, don't forget, you could sign up for um, the Patreon RSS feeds, which is great, because you not only get our regular show, the weekend show, and the email extra all in one feed, and you could put that into any standard podcast subscription uh, daily whacker that you might be interested in. That's so, a lot of content. It really is. It's almost too much, if you ask me. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit uh, much. I think we need to back <laughs> it actually down. drive people away. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of bad. So, uh, hold on, our levels are a little bit high. Technical difficulty, still in a new place here. All right. So, thank you, everybody. And if you want to help out too, you can just go to Patreon.com/slash/WoodTalk. We really appreciate it. And I think we can get to what's on the bench right now. And for me, you know, I still don't have a bench. Everything's still piled in the middle of this garage. Hasn't necessarily been like you know, this tool goes here, that tool goes there. But it, you know, I'm getting there. We'll get there soon. So, but I did make a decision on like the order that things are going to occur. First of all, I am not going to end up with like a master shop, like everything master planned and done within a couple of weeks. Like that was what was in my head. Like, okay, we'll do the flooring. We'll get those walls put up. I'll just get everything laid out perfectly. And it's like, that's just, it's not, it's not really a realistic way to do it because uh, number one, I don't have enough money, uh, which is a big, (laughs) it's kind of a big, you know, powerful thing to stop me. So, well, I mean the Honda money ran out. You know, I say you yeah. slept all over it too much. Yeah, it got me this house. You know, I guess that's good enough. Uh, but yeah. seriously, I just there there isn't enough money to do it all at once, and I just don't feel confident to do it all at once. I don't have all the information that I'm going to need to to make the the appropriate decisions for this thing. So here's what I am going to do. Number one, heater. I can get a heater installed. That's not going to impact anything later. It's just going to give me you know more comfortable environment to work in. I can put my tools where they're going to go. So even though I don't have the flooring done yet, I can kind of figure out, I mean, even if there's a slope in the floor, who cares? I could still get work done. So I'm going to get the tools roughly laid out. That's going to tell me a lot about where I want things to go. Then I'm going to get temporary power put in. So a couple of circuits will be run. If I have to use extension cords, that's fine. But that will help me sort of facilitate the the layout, making sure everything is where I want it to be. And then I'm going to do lights because lights are going to be pretty important to, to the filming and just being able to see what I'm doing. And again, lights also won't interfere with much. So then from that point, I could probably do dust collection. And then all of the like walls, the flooring, all that will come later. I think I just have so many questions to answer about layout. I just can't do them right away. So I think that will get me back to work faster. And you know, I could start making videos and building projects quicker uh, without it being perfect. It's just not going to be perfect for quite some time. And I think I'm, I'm okay with that at this point. I just kind of want to get back to work. 
Yeah, so. I can get that. Well, you know, if you need like a, a, a phase converter, I think Matt will give you a deal. <laughs> yeah. <one>. You got, <laughs> got one of those high handy. voltage one. I got one of those. The the reason it doesn't work is not because it's missing a part. It came that way. <laughs> I think I missed the video here. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit late, a little behind on my video watching. That's okay. That was just uh, yesterday. I think I posted that. Okay. I'm, I, I'm, I only bring it up because of the ongoing conversation we've had about what's going to go wrong with Matt's bandsaw mill. Right. Oh, I have some... his latest video. There was a wonderfully awkward, like 30 seconds where it's like, why doesn't it work? Sweet. Flip, flip, <laughs> click. Why doesn't it work? <laughs> you gotta love that. Some strong words for Mark and his jinxing of my project. <laughs> my bad. I shouldn't have said anything. Yeah. So anyway, Matt, why don't why don't you go ahead and say what's on the bench since I I led you in there. Yeah, I didn't see it. Let me know what happened. Been working on the sawmill, and actually that that issue that Shan's talking about wasn't even like that. That was an issue, but it wasn't that big of an issue. Um, so the VFD that I got for my uh, drive motor. Uh, I got it off eBay. It was used, whatever. Um, didn't work. So What's a VFD? VFD? Variable frequency drive. If you have a a lathe with like a potentiometer on it to change the variable speed on it, mm-hmm. I don't know if yours has that or not. I don't remember. I don't know. My, mine does. So mine has a three phase motor on it, and then you can run single phase through a VFD, and you can get speed control with the VFD. Oh, but whatever. Wow. It converts single phase to to three-phase so you can run three-phase motor on single-phase power. Okay. It's one of the many ways, the many, 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 many ways to get a three-phase motor running in single-phase. Okay. Um, so I had that thing. It didn't work. I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the heck is wrong with this thing because in theory, there's one cord in and one cord out and there's a power button and that should be it. Uh, but that's not exactly what happened with that. Um, on the VFD that I got, it had a fried component on one of the circuit boards that I found inside the machine or inside the VFD that I pulled out. And luckily for me, I made the mistake of buying the wrong one first and not returning it. So I have this extra one that happened to have the same component in it. So luckily, I could just swap those things and get my VFD running. Um, and that was just like the start of it. And it led me down this whole like rabbit hole of things that could possibly go wrong with those things and how complicated they are to set up and how little documentation there is about them. And blah, blah, blah. But that's not even like that big of a problem. This last week was like the worst week. And I was like out there. I'm like, damn, damn you, Mark. <laughs> I just say this to me. You're welcome I for had, the learning opportunity. <laughs> I was uh, trying to mechanize my lift mechanism. And I, I literally had every single conceivable problem I could possibly have <laughs> with that process. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so I had like I got the. The sprockets, I, I got the wrong size at the the at Fleet Farm. They had them mislabeled. I picked the wrong size, so I couldn't use those. I was trying to do it that at night when it's like getting dark. I got to get <laughs> done with them the next like half hour, or else it's going to be pitch black out. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'll go back. I went back, got the right sprockets the next day, and then that was solved. And the next thing was like, what the heck happened next? Oh, and then the VFD that I got for that motor to run the up and down mechanism didn't work, didn't come on. So I'm like, screw this. I threw that one aside. And I hooked it up to hooked up the motor to my, my bigger VFD just to see if it worked. So it was able to drop the saw head down and the saw head bottomed out on the bottom of the, um, the lifting screws. And then I reversed the direction of the motor, supposedly. I have no idea if it actually reversed or not. And I tried to start the motor up again and it, didn't, it wasn't going, it wasn't going, it wasn't going. And then bang, I killed the motor. I'm not sure if it was just too much for it to lift or if it was actually still in the other direction trying to push the saw head down 
or couldn't go anymore. I don't know, but I fried a motor too last week. Oh, so that's where I'm at with that. Oh, <laughs> it has geez. been a very, it was a very interesting week because when I first started that lifting mechanism thing, like, oh, it should be like a two day thing. I should be able to get down in a couple afternoons. Now, mm. now, a whole week, wow. entire week. I feel, like, after another. I feel like we need to go back and just like take out the clip of me asking Matt if there's <laughs> something that could go wrong. And he's like, nah, it'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen. And not at this no point. Worries. I don't think so. It'll be cool. <laughs> I'm finding the jokes I made about a treadle powered band mill to be somewhat <laughs> accurate now. <Yeah. laughs> well, maybe not the band mill will be treadle powered, but the raise and lower mechanism is going to be, you know, <laughs> on a little treadmill out there running it up and down. Man. I got a new motor today. It's in. I got that in today. So we'll see how all well that works. This is a gearhead motor, so it has a reduction on it. So in theory, it should have, regardless of if I had it in the right direction or not, it should have enough torque to lift it regardless. So now I just have to run that thing out there, get a new shaft for that and a sprocket for that, and then that should be solved, and that thing should be able to go up and down nice and easily, and I can be done with that. Otherwise, it's getting a hand crank, and I'm getting up on a ladder. <laughs> Every single time I have to change the height, getting up on an eight-foot ladder and turning a hand crank. Oh, dude. Sounds like fun. Yeah. It had to happen. Hey, I'm building drama, right? That's right. Yeah. You're documenting it all. I mean, this is all good for business. Yeah. <laughs> tons of steel climbing that ladder up and down. That's right. Yeah. Extra benefit. Important. Your wife will like that. <laughs> keep, you, keep you in good shape after the kids, you know? It's important. Or babies. <laughs> was that last time? What was it doing last time out in the, the sweaty... Thing I was oh I was planing some boards out for the the uh, tabletops. Mm. You guys were like, that's how the babies are made. Oh, that's uh, right. Oh yes, yes, yes. Well, this is the winter version of of you know what helps to make the babies. <laughs> but good stuff, man. Shannon, what do you got going on? Well, I um I got stuck on one of those um like spiraling distractions in the workshop <laughs> this weekend. Your wife? I went out to specifically do, um, to tackle my, my growing scrap problem and just build a little like crate on wheels that I can roll around the shop, but also tuck into a corner <clears throat> because my, my planer is such a 900 pound beast, even though it's got a, I, I making air quotes here, a mobile base. There's not a whole lot of mobile going on. <laughs> not with a lot of mobility. <laughs> so it, it doesn't really move around that much. It's more of like flip the, flip the pedal down and kind of wheel out a corner <laughs> to change the angle of like outfeed rather than actually move the thing. So for the most part, it stays pretty stationary. So it's actually kind of a perfect place to put uh, a scrap box um, that I can roll out and grab uh, stuff when I need it and roll it back under the outfeed table of the, um, of the planer. So I started working on that and then realized um, as I moved the planer out, wow, there's like a lot of dust back here. Where's that coming from? And it turned out the last time I changed the bag on my dust collector, I like didn't get the seal right. So like, <laughs> it's kind of like missing a belt loop on your pants. And the, the dust collector had plumber's crack basically. Oh man. And there was just this jet of dust shooting out. But, it, but the way the dust collector is backed into the corner, it was like the perfect spot that I couldn't see it. Mm -hmm. So, um, who knows what that did the CFM? I mean, considering all I ever do is use it to the, the planer, and the planer basically self ejects chips at high speed anyway. So, you know, I could have four cubic feet per minute and I'd still be okay yeah. on the thing. But it was creating like just this huge pile that was building up on the other side of the planer. So that took like two hours 
stupidly enough, I'm like looking everywhere, but like how the bag was actually attached. I'm thinking it's coming out the hose. It's coming out of the, <laughs> out of like the impeller casing somewhere. Yeah. Thinking the filter had a hole in the top. And I was like, you idiot, check the bag first. It's like checking to make sure it's plugged in. You know, it doesn't work. <laughs> Is it plugged in? It's what I should have done. Yeah. So after literally about two hours, I finally thought to check the bag. But again, because it's backed into the corner and in order to get the dust collector to fit under my garage door track, I had to take the casters off of it. So it's not mobile. <laughs> oh, it doesn't man. roll around real easily, <laughs> which only compounded the fact that it's in like the worst spot behind it backed into the corner of the shop. So finally, I'm like dragging the thing out of there. The whole point of this is I did sell the dust collector and I had to get it out to put the casters back on <laughs> so that I can like clean it out and get it ready to, to give to the guy who's buying it. Right. But it was just ridiculous how just making a little scrap box led to cleaning up a bunch of dust, which then the OCD kicked in. And I was like, well, if I'm going to start sweeping and cleaning, I might as well like do the whole shop. Then I started moving plywood out of the shop <laughs> and I had some T-111 siding in there and moved that out into the woodshed. It was eight hours was gone. And I have a gloriously clean shop with more floor space now because I moved a bunch of stuff out of there. But I got nothing done on the little scrap <laughs> crates. Yeah. So, so what happened with the scrap uh, bin though? Did you, did you like make, what's the story with that? Is it to your liking? Wait, say that the again. The whole scrap bin. Sorry about that. What happened with the scrap bin itself? Is that finished? No, no. Literally <laughs> I've got like the, the parts pulled out of the scrap pile to make the scrap. It's very meta. I've got to make yeah, the scrap use box. Use the scrap to make the scrap <laughs> box. Imagine like a glorified milk crate on wheels, a little bit taller and a little bit bigger, okay. but specifically kind of slatted sides so that I can see into it and see what's right. going on. But I specifically didn't want to make a huge big deal. Um, that's, that's going to have a whole lot of space. Cause then that will only encourage me to gather more scrap, but more importantly, um, it's low enough that I can kind of very quickly stand everything on end and still see what's in there and kind of sort through mm -hmm. it real quick. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, but yeah, just, really fancy milk crate on wheels cool. that just rolls around really easily. I think the biggest key is that it's not fixed against a wall or anything like that so yeah. that I can roll it out and um, sort through stuff, pull out what I need and, you know, occasionally pitch stuff. But yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it doesn't exist yet. There's several okay. boards that have been set aside to be planed and sized. And I'll probably just end up using some uh, cut nails to put the whole thing together. Mm -hmm. Nothing fancy. And then I'm going to get some casters for it. I want to know how it works out though. Cause I've, I've got an alcove in the garage that I'm not exactly sure why it's there, but it's like basically, uh, I would say maybe 36 inches high and goes about four feet deep. You know, it's got a pretty good width. And right now I've got like one of those little Mateo's little motorized cart that he rides around the driveway. Uh, that that's like his garage for it. Uh, so I'll, I'll be yanking that out of there and it just seems like the perfect space to just, you know, put a scrap off cut bin that I could pull out as needed and push it out of the way. But I'm not sure yeah. how that like that giant bin of stuff, how that actually, you know, just practically is going to work out, whether you're going to just it's just going to become a pile of crap or am I actually going to be able to get to the stuff and use it? Yeah. And for me, it was to avoid the out of sight, out of mind. Um, mm -hmm. And if it were like like four feet deep, I worry that the stuff in the back would like never get. <laughs> you'll never build up again. and build up and build up so right. the dimension of this thing is going to be about a 24 inch square um so it's really not very okay. big yeah and where i'm sticking it will limit the the um scrap to under 36 inches 
Okay. Anything longer than 36 inches, uh, generally can you can start to get furniture parts out of it, yeah, you know? True. So that has an excuse to go back out to the lumber shed or up on the, the near-term lumber storage in the shop. Um, it's that little stuff, you know, because it's figured or because, oh, you know, I could use this for a demo. And, sure. and that was one of the other things I did this week. And I had um, two Skype sessions with um, Hand Tool School Apprentices, and I was cutting tenons in one. So it's like the perfect reason to go grab this board out of the out of the scrap box and cut a tenon on it to show how things are done and then when it's done it you know ends up in the in the fire pit after mm-hmm. that but yeah i just the more complicated i made it the more it was different levels to organize stuff the more i realized that it just it, it's just not going to work yeah it's got to be easy it's got to be highly mobile and it's got to specifically limit my hoarding tendencies yeah, yeah. <laughs> if i make it too big i'm screwed so. Yeah, that's a keep it simple, stupid moment, I think. Yeah, yeah. I should have taken that theory to heart when I started investigating yeah. the dust collection problem. But <laughs> <laughs> Always look for the simplest solution first. Uh, uh, the crazy <laughs> thing is, is like how much aerated dust has been shooting into my shop for, I mean, the last time I changed the collector, the collector bag was probably a month ago. Mm-hmm. So the last month, it's been spraying dust out the backside. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing I've got this uh, half micron filter here. Oh, totally. Yeah, I'm that's so safe. And, and you look at the wall and you look at like, especially now that it's cold outside and the heat's been running, the statically charged like dust smear on the wall behind it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just terrible. That's, that's all that. That's, all. That looks like the inside of your lungs right now, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Oh. I, I stayed in Yummy. respirator all day, yeah. which was actually good considering the temperature dropped from 65 to 30 in the course of like 15 minutes on Saturday. <laughs> nice. So that, that respirator was quite comfortable at that point. It's like having a balaclava on or something. Yeah. Very cool. All right, let's oh. get into what's new. Got a couple things here. Yeah. First one is from Matt. He says, not this Matt, probably another Matt. He says, Scary Blades, check out this vintage British, British boat building film at about the five minute mark. Very cool. This is stuff that I think would get Armat excited. Giant blades. I was pretty excited. Like this, uh, it just was sort of like a crosscut saw with, I don't know, the blade had to be 36 inches in diameter at least. Uh, I bigger than that. There's yeah. a guy standing next to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's massive. And uh, this this is stuff that, that uh, you know, I don't want to personally go anywhere near, but I'd love to watch a video about it. So uh, really heavy duty stuff that, that they're using to build these boats and uh, big, big uh, resaws that they're using to just take these logs and two inch slab just falls right off. Uh, beautiful stuff. So definitely check it out. I think... Um at Hearn Hardwoods, uh, Rick Hearn has like this huge monster sawmill that he uses for cutting like six and eight foot diameter logs. Mm. And that's what they use. They have an old shipwright's bandsaw mill. Yeah. And the blade, like every now and then when they're changing the blade and happen to be up there while they're doing it, it always gathers a big crowd because <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like, damn, look it's at the size bands. of that blade, Bubba. You know, yeah. and people just gather around this thing because I think the width of the blade is something like, 24 28 inches wide oh man and um, i can't even imagine how much it weighs but yeah That's there's crazy. like two guys are the only ones that are allowed to touch the thing you know yeah um but it's so cool to watch that thing in action yeah i guess you get pissed when that one breaks right when you have to replace that plate that's, <laughs> oh, yeah. that's gonna be a bit God, of an expense could you think about the force required to break it though? That's the <laughs> yeah. scary part. Something like, what did true. you have to do to actually break that yeah. blade? something dramatically went wrong <laughs> in that case yeah yeah, like cool. hopefully everyone's still alive yeah, to fix it. For sure. Breaks. 
So this next one's a little bit interesting. It came from Nathan and he said, check out hashtag whimsy architecture on Instagram. So I'm mm. like, okay. <laughs> if you say so. <laughs> I do random stuff like that. And <laughs> I still can't quite figure out what's going on here, but it's cool. Um, I don't know whether it's Brian Gunther, the, his Instagram account that's actually making this little like model building, but First of all, the photography is really, really cool. The joinery, imagine building like a pole barn in miniature, mm-hmm. but the level of detail going into like the spiral staircase and the inlays and the walls and the individual like um, board and batten siding and just crazy and like timber frame substructure. But I kept scrolling back through the feed trying to find like the first post to see maybe he describes hey, here's what I'm building or here's my idea and I can't find it. So basically it's just eye candy. Like go to Instagram and punch in like the hashtag whimsy architecture and you just get some cool eye candy to look at. I'm going to do that. There we go. Instagram so is great. That. That's cool stuff. <clears throat> Good deal. All right, let's get into our kickback. Uh, first one here is from Chris. He left a comment on the website. He says, I wanted to add a couple of cents on the subject of getting square cuts on plywood and such. I have the Festool track saw, which I use primarily for ripping my first straight edge on rough lumber and for cutting down sheet goods. Recently, I've been working with my woodworking newbie son-in-law uh, to build a large freestanding cabinet desk for their kitchen. Since he's still short on experience, sort of an every time is the first time situation sometimes, he often has a problem with the track moving on him while he's making his cut. So last week, I thought I'd give him a little insurance and use a little push, push me, pull you festal clamps uh, to hold the track in place. We ripped both sides of four boards to glue up a panel. It didn't matter in this case if the two long edges of each board were perfectly parallel. Uh, when we got done and put the four boards in place to glue them up, none of the cuts were actually straight. Each was cut with a slight convex curve, like the opposite of making a sprung joint. After a little head scratching, I figured out that the clamps had actually pushed the track a little bit out of a straight line. I guess I squeezed too much with the pressure onto the clamp. So I guess this long post is just to ask if others had the same experience and to warn others that this can happen. So that's interesting. Uh, unless it's a really weird position that I can't get the track on there comfortably without clamps. Almost never do I use clamps to hold that in place, but that's a really good point because the way that their clamps work, they go into a a small track on the underside of the Festool track Mm -hmm. so that if you uh, sort of induce some kind of a skew by clamping too hard, I could see how that clamp might force at least on the both, both ends force it in a certain direction, which would then cause the track to skew. So I think, yeah, teach the kid how to, uh, a kid, I don't know how old the guy is, I'll teach the guy how to, uh, how to cut without those clamps because you really don't need them. You know, as long as you're not putting undue sort of pressure and force on it, you don't need them yeah. and you can get away I with use, it. I use one and it's funny because that was part of my spring cleaning in the fall thing was actually cutting up some plywood that I knew I needed in narrower widths just to get it out of the shop. So I pulled out the, the Festool track saw to do a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I figured since the dust was spewing anyway, I didn't even hook up the dust extractor, <laughs> which was not good. I shouldn't have done that. It was bad. I regret that now. But um, I've used, I used the, the little clamp on one end only um, and then kind of use it to anchor one, one end and kind of pivot it up to my line. And it's perfectly stable at that point. But I could see clamping both ends because when you twist the clamp invariably, that little like little part that slides into the track underneath yeah. is going to exert some torque and it's going to want to twist from side to side just as you twist the, the bar clamp. 
Right. So if you have them in opposition, I imagine you actually are like in imparting bow to that track. I never thought about that. Yeah. That could get that could get ugly quick. Something to think about. Hmm. Good mm-hmm. point, Chris. <laughs> All right, we got one here from Shane. It says in the car planer is a playing car video I shared in episode three thirty three. The blade is from H and T Gordon, a playmaker here in Australia who makes exceptional planes. And if you're interested in a little behind the scenes of the process from tree to finish plane, here is a video he just posted. There it is. And we have a link there. I right see there. the link. I see a link to something. It's a beautiful link. We'll have to go watch that link later. Very nice. <laughs> I should add the fact that the, the gentleman that made that plane car, mm-hmm. his name is Shannon. <clears throat> so, yay. There's more of us. Great minds to like. <laughs> we found your replacement. There you go. <laughs> watch yourself, Shannon. And if, finally if found one. He's, <laughs> got a, he's got a better accent than you do, which means That's true. That's true. that, that doesn't add, bode well for you. More welcome color to the show. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get into our voicemail. Got one here from Adam, and he's got a question concerning uh, uninsulated shop space and wood movement. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. Good morning, or good afternoon, or good evening, whenever you guys do this. I did have a question for you. Uh, I am planning on redoing my garage so it's more shop-like. And uh, the walls are, for the most part, not insulated. Uh, I live in the Seattle area, so it gets cold, but not so cold I can't bear it. So I was, was looking at insulating my walls, but it's not necessarily for me. It's more of a concern for... Uh, wood movement. Uh, would a more consistent environment be better for preventing uh, unwanted wood movement, or does that even matter? Is the insulation would is that normally just purely for everybody's comfort, or or what? So, I guess I didn't even say my name. This is Adam from Seattle, Washington. Um, <laughs> Yeah, let me know what you guys think. Uh, and I think all of you guys have insulated shops. Uh, would you guys be able to survive without now that Mark's in the Denver area? Maybe not. Uh, yeah, let me know. Thanks. Bye. All right, Matt, you want to grab this one? What do you think? Um, honestly, I'm more on like the camp of moving happens, just kind of plan for it mm-hmm. and not worry <laughs> about it too much. Wood moves. Get over it. That, I don't know. It's, to be blunt, I guess, that's kind of where I come from, where it's, right. it's going to move anyway. So I just plan for it in your way of working and in your, in your construction, and it doesn't really matter. Then yeah. it's not even a thought anymore. Right. Well, I right. do think if he adds insulation, and we're talking about you know doing it properly, having your vapor barriers, things like that, I do think there is, you know, when the body is comfortable, chances are the wood's going to be more stable. And I'm not so worried about <laughs> temperature as we are about humidity. Um, but avoiding extremes is actually, you know, it's probably going to at least stack the cards in his favor to not have to, you know, worry about it so much. Now he's in Seattle, so there's definitely going to be a lot of humidity, but at least having some level of, I mean, let's look at, at insulating the shop. You know, I see it a lot like, um, putting finish on a piece of wood. 
The finish will impart some stability to the wood by slowing down um, its exposure to certain conditions. You know, so I kind of think the shop is a very similar thing. So if he does insulate it, I, don't, I mean, it's, you know, you still have to plan for this stuff, but I think he's going to have more incidents of, you know, wood movement issues if he doesn't have a stable environment to work in, you know? So I don't know. That's, that's my thoughts on it. Shannon, what do you think? Well, there's, there's insulation to help, you know, maintain the temperature, but there's also humidity to, yeah. con- to consider. I mean, certainly as the temperature climbs or the temperature falls, the relative humidity changes, but I think what would be create more of a stable environment would be a dehumidifier um, rather than, I mean, certainly insulation, if it's poorly insulated, it doesn't really matter what you do because it's leaking like a sieve and you're, <laughs> you're now dehumidifying the outside air as yeah. all that stuff is, is exchanging. Mm-hmm. But I think just insulation alone, um, it's only kind of half the battle. Maybe the first step. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you need to focus on dehumidifying as well. Um, unless you're specifically piping heat or AC into the shop now. Um, so there, there's, there's insulating, but then there's also the climate control side of things. Mm -hmm. So just insulating alone, I don't think is going to do anything other than just make it more comfortable for you, which to Mark's point is probably more important (laughs) than anything else. Okay. All right. We got one more here. This one is from our good buddy, AJ. Gentlemen, this is AJ DeSantis from New England Woodworking Studio out here in beautiful Massachusetts. I gave you guys a few episodes off for my open-ended questions. <laughs> uh, hope you appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank uh, you. I have a direct, straight-to-the-point question for you guys this time. I'm uh, being commissioned to build a large dining room table that I'm starting very shortly. And the tabletop is going to have a large chamfer on the underside to kind of give it that impression of more of a thin, delicate top, but still have the stability and deepiness to it without making it look that way. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm trying to figure out the best way to go about this. I know I can do it with hand tools. I just don't know if I trust my hand tool skills enough to make it perfect and even all the way around an 82-inch long table. Um, So let me know what you guys think. It would be wonderful to hear your opinions. Thank you very much. Have yourself a wonderful day and wonderful episode. And uh, also thank you, Shannon and Matt, for your input, helping me out to figure out if that would, I posted on an Instagram page a couple weeks ago with Ash or Curly Maple. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Nice of you guys to help out AJ with his Ash. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for not helping out Mark. <laughs> Apparently I was, I, I was just busy doing something else last week. Is what I, I don't know what. <laughs> I, can't, I can't imagine what I was doing. Uh, we're just wasting time uh, up here. Nothing beautiful. important, that's for sure. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, all right, so what the heck was his question? Chamfer. Uh, underside, chamfer. Shannon, you're a hand tool guy. What would you do? Yeah. Um, I would, the first thing I would do is stop worrying about making it absolutely perfect. Boom! <laughs> you got Done. a lot of real estate there. What do you say, an 80-inch long table? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. That is a heck of a lot of real estate. And if it varies slightly, who cares? There's really only four Um, spots. It needs to be perfect, right? 
Yeah, get Each that corner. corner <laughs> when, you, when you get the chamfers, you know, chamfers at the 90 degrees, you're going to get that little miter line that happens when you get the chamfers perfectly even. That's where it needs to match. The rest of it, you know, the other 79 and a half inches of that tabletop <laughs> yeah. could vary slightly and no one's ever going to notice. Yeah. So just laying it out, frankly, Laying out and just sounds so simplistic, but stay inside the lines. Go back to kindergarten and remember what they taught you about staying inside the lines. At least when I was in kindergarten, now it's like, don't embrace your line, go beyond the line, feel your whatever. There is no line, yeah. And you get a ribbon for painting outside the line. All right, enough. Um, but that that's what it it comes down to. I actually just did a um, in one of my shop update videos just this last week, I talked about cutting bevels and um you can use a saw to kind of make depth marks along the um, along the, the bevel and kind of gives you a guide to plane down to. So when those saw curves disappear, you know you're like a couple of passes to the bottom to that to that hypotenuse, if you will, of that of that bevel. And frankly, that's enough. You know, if you've got your bevel gauge set, you just kind of run it along and go, ah, oh, it doesn't quite match there, and hit it a couple times with the plane until it does match. And you'd be surprised just how accurate you can be, but at the same time, just how unimportant it really is. Mm-hmm. It's a decorative detail. It's not like a joinery surface. Yeah. Sounds good. Oh, yeah. All right. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can. You could just do that on Skype. Our username there is Wood Talk Online, or you can call us at 623-242-5180. We look forward to hearing from you. All right, let's get into our emails. Uh, first one here came from uh, one of our patrons, Matt. He says, when using a Rockler single-stage HVLP gun, can you use oil-based polyurethane and dilute it with mineral spirits, or will this system not have enough power? Okay, I think you probably can. I mean, even if it's a single-stage, it's just going to really spit it all and splatter it out there. But I think the more important thing to, to discuss here is whether you should. And uh, I know some people do like spraying poly and oil-based materials. I am not a fan. And this is why it kind of doesn't matter because when you're spraying that down on the surface, the oil, you know, it's oil. It takes a long time to dry. So these oil-based materials, even if you lay down like an imperfect finish, it kind of just tends to flow together, you know. So you, even if it's spurting out a little bit, it's not it's not going to be that big of a deal. But that kind of goes more to the point of why would you even bother? Um, unless you have a dead flat surface and it's very large, right? And you want to get good coverage over a very large conference table or something like that. There might be some justification for for spraying it, but spraying oil-based solutions just is problematic. You know, you get a lot of drips and runs and the stuff is just messy. The overspray hits the ground and now you've got something that isn't drying quickly, just kind of adhering to the ground's surface. Uh, This is why I only really spray things that dry quickly. So your water-based stuff, your alcohol-based stuff, and anything you know that you might thin with lacquer thinner, all of your lacquers are good uh, choices for that. But oil-based takes forever to dry, and it just is like not a fun thing to to deal with, and especially with your equipment, with your gun. Cleaning it is a pain. You're probably not going to want to use it for anything else but oils from then on out, and you better clean it well because if that stuff dries inside your you know tubes and inside the, the gun, that's not going to be a good thing. So I do think you, you would be okay. You probably would need to dilute it to get it to a sprayable consistency for a single-stage turbine like that, but I think you should, maybe you have a lot of experience with this, so you're comfortable with it, but for those that don't, I just think oil-based materials are better off avoided when you're talking about spray. So just my opinion, but you know, try it out first. I'm done. That I'm was just a quick too one. lazy to clean it up. 
that's a big part of it. The cleanup is a pain. I like water-based in my spray gun just because I can clean it easier. Yep. And I'll tell you what, dude, even uh, water-based, I still try not to do this with, but lacquer, like a a regular standard lacquer, you could leave that crap in the gun for weeks and it's fine. (laughs) And I did that. I did that accidentally. Like right before we moved, I had sprayed something, had about a week or two where I was just packing up the house and had to ignore the shop. And I went back in there and cleaned it out. It was fine. I could have just picked up the gun, connected it and sprayed it again. Because it just works that well, and a lacquer thinner would dilute and sort of dissolve anything that may have hardened inside the gun, you know, and oil-based stuff is just not going to work that way. So, anyways, who next? Now you're done. I'm For done. real? Hold on. I'm going to drink. Give you your cue. <laughs> All right. This next one here is from Nick. He says, what is the proper way to cut notches on inside corners of a board? Is It seems simple, but I struggle to get nice, clean Nice and clean and square. I bought a pull saw to finish the cuts, but I'm not very accurate with it. I am going to say there's a lot of ways to do this. Uh, depending on how big the board is, it's probably going to kind of put you into the technique of the method that you're probably going to want to pick. Something smaller, um, I probably do that on the table saw with a miter gauge or a crosscut sled. Just clamp that thing to the fence and make your two cuts that way. That way you end up really nice and square and clean. Um, bigger stuff, you could use a jigsaw or a circular saw up against a, um, like a speed square, or you can clamp a straight edge, whatever gets you there. With the circular saw, you're going to have that curvature of the blade to deal with in that very inside corner, which I'm guessing is what he's talking about with the, uh, the pull saw thing. So I think with the pull saw, it can be a little bit tricky to kind of get them perfect. I know I haven't had a whole lot of great luck with it, uh, when I've had to do it, but I usually leave leave some material, then come back with a chisel and just kind of like reference it off the cut area that was done with the circular saw and kind of plow into the corner. And that usually ends me up with a pretty nice, clean and crisp corner. That's what I have to say. I like how we, that's how we have to end our answers. That's all I have to say about that. Okay. (laughs) Moving on. I've got to say about that. (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Too awesome. So, yeah. I'll add to that and say, lay it out and stay within your lines. Cut to the lines? Chisel to the lines? Something will stay within the lines or something? Yeah. Yeah, I like staying within the lines. So this uh, next one is from somebody. Oh, Mike. Um, And he says, you have suggestions on how to avoid screws hitting each other when installing drawer slides on opposite sides of the divider. I'll be installing matching drawer slides on opposite sides of a 5-8 inch divider using half-inch screws. I expect they will hit each other if the slides are lined up the same within the opening. Would you suggest offsetting the slides vertically, horizontally, or some other way of avoiding the problem? Now, this may depend upon the manufacturer of the slides you're using, but there are a lot of holes in those drawer <laughs> slides. You're not supposed to put screws in every one of those holes. It's a lot like, of screws. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of times there could be like four or six different holes in there. Um, I usually try to put one at the back, one at the front, and maybe one in the middle. Mark is showing us some drawer glides right now. Um, lots of holes. A lot of times there's there's a like a perfectly round hole, then there's like an elongated hole right next to it if you want some adjustability. Um, that is so that you can offset not the slide, but the screws themselves. So if you're putting them on opposing sides, most definitely if you if you drill into that same hole and the position exactly the same, you're going to collide in the middle and there's going to be some sort of disruption of the space time continuum, which is just bad. <laughs> yes, so you don't want that. Your holes. Um, there's that's, 
I, I was just doing like a Google image search and I was looking for like really, really high end slides. And even those have like six different holes on the side. And then like the cheapo buy them off the, the shelf at home Depot for like, you know, $5 a piece have like eight holes. In Dude, them. I've got this like Ikea style cabinet. I had to buy here just cause I needed something quickly. The slides in there, 19 holes per slide. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you're good. That's probably to yeah. reduce shipping weight. I think. Yeah, I think so. It makes them lighter. <laughs> Very lightweight. But think about how stable that drawer would be if you put 19 screws in each side. No more stable than three. <laughs> it would be a lot heavier. It would be heavier. Yeah. That's a lot of screws. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of screws for sure. All right. Good deal. Uh, now, after this recording, we're actually going to record an email extra. And if you want to know how to get that, you can go to patreon.com slash woodtalk and sign up for the $4 patron level. And uh, today we're going to discuss manufactured doors and metal. I'm not even, that'll be interesting. I'm not even sure where that's going to go. No one will know until we actually do it. So if you want to support the show, you can. You can set up a recurring donation, patreon.com slash woodtalk. You can get yourself a woodtalk t-shirt at twwstore.com or you can leave us an iTunes review. Just head to iTunes, click on, uh, well, actually search for woodtalk and then click on ratings and reviews and give us a rating. We'll read some more of those next time. I didn't even open iTunes. Uh, Shannon, how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here. No. Please? No. I will not leave. Mr. Defiance. <laughs> he insists on I sticking refuse. around. It's like a family member that won't leave. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's Thanksgiving. <laughs> right. it's the he wants another piece of pie. That's the problem. Right. Pie's gone, Shannon. Folks, if you have comments, questions, topics, suggestions, or don't want to leave because you want more pie, there are several ways you can contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. That's uh, Wood Talk Online. Our voicemail line is 623-242-5180. Or you can use our contact form at woodtalkshow.com slash wait for it contact boom nice good stuff that's crazy um finally go to our website at woodtalkshow.com you'll find this show all the other shows and you can leave comments in the notes there tell us what we did wrong mm-hmm. and um uh, yeah we also have our own sites woodwhisper.com renaissancewoodworker.com and mattcremona.com wait for it nice I like that. <laughs> dramatic pause <laughs> The suspense. Good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. About what top level domain is it? <laughs> yeah, if you, you do the same know. thing every time, they'll just hang up or you know, hit the top. <laughs> Beautiful. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll catch you next time. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.